Colossians 4 and 2, the Bible says, continue in prayer with the same according to thanksgiving. And all throughout scripture, we see a heightened mark given to the role of prayer in the Christian's life. And to live in Christ is to live in a sphere dedicated to the realm of prayer. If it is the case this morning that our life spiritually is not what it needs to be, it could very well be that we have slipped in the area of prayer. And so I wanted to take a while this morning and allow the class to be able to discuss and go deeper into the subject of prayer, how we are to pray, what we can expect from prayer as a Christian, how our prayers actually determine and speak volumes about our spirituality or lack thereof, how prayer really is a litmus test for our maturity in Christ. Just so many concepts in regards to prayer. We know this. We know this. That Jesus himself was dedicated to prayer. And if we are to thus live like Jesus lived and be like our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be one devoted to learning more and more about how to effectively pray. If we were to ask this question, yes, sir. Our kids, we can go ahead and go to class and kids do want to continue to say amen. It seems to us. Did I jump the gun, Brandon? I, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, they're like, we don't want to listen to this. <laughs> I understand. Go have a good Bible class. Uh, so as we begin this morning, throw it out there. What is the first thing that you think of? What comes to your mind when we mention the subject of prayer? And just speak up this morning. Thanksgiving or how God blesses us. Amen. Because, because God blesses us so much. Our prayers ought to be a single thread of continuity woven in thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. In everything give what? Thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Now, you know, we ought to think about that passage. We talk a lot about the will of God in Matthew 7, remember, concerning our uh, necessity to obey God when Jesus there is pointing this out, that not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he that doeth, doeth the will of our Father which is in heaven. James says we ought to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So part of doing the will of God is being a people dedicated to prayer. And because, as the good brother mentions to us, God has and is blessing us so many ways that, that no prayer ever really should be uttered without our thanking God for our sparing our lives, for our good health, for our spiritual salvation, for the church that meets here. And we could go on and on and on. As the song says, count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. So that's right. When we begin the subject of prayer, I think it would be of the highest mark to mention that it is a reflection, it is a litmus test on whether or not we are a people that are filled with gratitude as we ought to be. 
Every time I've caught myself in life, and we can get this way. If you ever caught yourself in, a, in an atmosphere of kind of maybe moaning and groaning and complaining, that can happen to us. And every time I've caught myself there, it's because I was not dedicated to obeying the passage of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. Rejoice, verse 16, pray, and in our prayers give thanks because this is the will of God. Excellent. What else comes to your mind concerning prayer? Any thoughts? Amen. There ought not to be a day go by that we do not, in the pillowing of our heads, in the evening shade of time, before we drift off in the nighttime recesses of sleep, whether it be planting our feet off of the bed in the mornings, God sparing our life through the, through the night. There ought not to be a morning or an evening that goes by. There ought not to be a day that goes by that as Christians we do not specifically ask for the forgiveness of our sins and be thankful with the great confidence that God hears those who ask this prayer, those that are Christians, that are faithful, and that he supplies through the second law of pardon a continual cleansing from the fountain of Emmanuel's veins and that our sins are absolutely forgiven. That's probably the greatest blessing spiritually that a Christian has is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that through the blood of Christ, the efficacy of that divine substitutionary sacrifice that our sins are forgiven. And the Bible says that those sins are cast as far as from the east to the west. By the way, now here's the tougher part of this. Jesus said also, though, we have an obligation to do what? Forgive others. That's the part that's sometimes difficult. You know, the Bible says in Luke 17, if thy brother sin, rebuke him, but if he repent, forgive him, verse 3. Jesus said, if we do not forgive men their trespasses on earth, neither will our heavenly Father forgive our trespasses. But if we are willing to forgive men their trespasses on earth, then he is therefore willing to forgive our trespasses. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 44 that we are to bless our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us and say all manner of evil against us, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before us. So prayer, because God blesses us, our hearts ought to swell with gratitude. We ought to be those that petition God and ask him for forgiveness. Those of us that are Christians, we ought to use that avenue of prayer, as the Hebrew writer says, and come boldly unto him that we might find grace, that is, favor in time of need. What else? Advancement of the kingdom. That's one of my favorite ones, being a preacher. Evangelism. We don't sometimes emphasize it enough. It's somewhat, you know, it's, it's somewhat that's very personal because it has to do with our relationship to other people and our willingness to go and to teach and to share the gospel. And so it's exactly right. The kingdom must be advanced. And we need to pray for the sowing of the seed of the kingdom. Luke 8 and verse 11 says that the seed of the kingdom is what? The word of God. And because of that, the more seed that we plant, the richer of a harvest that we can expect. You know, really, it's not our job to go out and try to figure out every, every heart that's around us and to inspect those hearts. But it is our job and it is our privilege, our divine responsibility to sow as many seeds as possible while we are alive. You know, we only have so long. 
Every time I come back to a congregation where I've held a meeting previously, it's bittersweet. You look around and you note a few people that are not here this time that were here at last time. Well, what happened? Well, the corridor of death, it, we, pass, we all pass through it. So it reminds us of the brevity of life and the sober responsibility that all of us have in this congregation and as members of the Church of Christ universally that we are to advance the kingdom. And that begins really in the heart of a prepared person. And prepared people are people that pray. Mark 1 and 35, And Jesus, rising up a great while before day, departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus said, Watch and pray. Now, remember this. Prayer, sometimes in prayer we're only thinking about things that may be accomplished under petitioning of God. Sometimes, though, those things are accomplished by God's providence beginning with the change of the heart of the petitioner. In other words, prayer helps to change my own heart. It helps to mold me. It helps to humble me. It helps to create within my mindset a more spiritual desiring of following God's will, and therefore that will help me to be one that sows the seed more. Advance the kingdom. What else? That his will be done. Amen. James reminds us that we ought not to think today and tomorrow we're going to go in this place or that place, buy and sell and get gain and do this. In other words, if we're planning our lives out methodically, outside of the larger canopy of God's wonderful divine providence, if we're planning out our lives with every aspect and yet we do not remember God and we do not prioritize our lives, we are not a people of prayer. Being a people of prayer is more than just uttering words. Really, it's at the, at the heart of the matter, it's, it's realizing the proper place of God and our very feeble place. And because of the difference in the places in which we occupy, that his thoughts and ways are higher, etc., and that we are his creation, we are not the creator, and that we are not wise in our own conceits, but we are submissive to his divine and sovereign will, that a heart of prayer is molded to the such that we recognize that his will ought to be done and not our own. You know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I've read it no telling how many times. I've quoted it and preached it no telling how many times. But it does for me as much today as when I say it or think about it as it did all throughout the years. When Jesus said, if it be couple, excuse me, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So amen to prayer, to subject our prayers to the divine will of God. What else? Blessing others. Blessing others. Sometimes, if we're not careful, our prayers can be like I was as a child. I want, I want, I want. Prayer really should be in a mature mark of a Christian our prayers ought to be able to, to sound forth a caring concern not only for myself and my own physical family, my immediate family, but for all those around me. Prayer, again, is a reflection of our hearts. I want you to think about that for a minute. Communication is key. That's true in a husband-wife relationship. That's true in employee-employer relationship. Why then would it not be true with the greatest relationship of all, our Heavenly Father to us? And therefore, if I do not feel comfortable and confident 
in prayer. If I do not feel as though that I can speak to my heavenly father through and by the name of Jesus Christ, what does that say? And if I am not willing in my prayers to ask and to seek blessings on behalf of others, then it may be that my heart's not laced with gratitude, but it's been poisoned by selfishness, fear, retaliation, vengeance, spite, malice, wickedness, of which Paul says those things in 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, and other places are really at the heart of the works of the flesh. Prayer changes things. Yes, it has the power to do that. Prayer also changes us as people. Now, how much are you willing to be changed? Do you want to be one that's casually at a distance to God? Or as the great book of James says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. Do you want to be so close to God that the, that the heart that you possess is one that's so close to the divine nature of Christ that people can readily see within you the master. So think about those things. What else? Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sure, is maybe a verse that you have in mind. That we ought to pray for those kings and those in high places that are, according to Romans, the 13th chapter, are obviously in charge in the civil area. You know, we forget sometimes there are three divine institutions. Now, the church is which usually we're speaking about when we're gathered in a place like this, or secondarily, the family. But then there is civil government. And even though we know at times our civil government disappoints us like all do, civil government as a whole is still a divine blessing because it came from God. Could you imagine anarchy? Could you imagine out of control? No system or form of government, no rule and regulation, no system of power civilly, no place to argue a point or to go judicially to make a point. It would be a sad and chaotic realm. A world given to confusion and outright disarray if we had no civil government. God was far wiser than man and he appointed, according to Romans, the 13th chapter, a divine system and a Christian's relationship to his civil government, again, speaks volumes about his heart. So therefore, the heart of a Christian, while we are torn sometimes between what God says, Acts 5.29, we know it's always better to obey God rather than a man. We also pray for even those that we would disagree with. We pray for their wisdom. We pray for their strength. We pray for their hearts to be molded by the will of God. And for God through them to have this country continue as a great nation it is. 1 Timothy 2 brings this up. We specifically pray when it comes to civil government that our lives might be able to continue to live in such a way it would be described as of what kind of life? Peaceable. A peaceable and quiet life. Excellent comment. What else comes to your mind when we think about the word or the subject of prayer? When you voice your concerns or your needs. I've said this often in meetings and I mean it. The hardest thing for me to do, it was never to preach a sermon. My wife said, yeah, just get him to be quiet. That's the hard thing. I'll tell you the hardest challenge I personally as a father and a husband ever had 
was when about a year after we were married, now we had prayed, but not, not like we did then, when we started committing to prayer on a more regular basis and where my wife would explain to me all the things that, that she thought she was in need in or our family or the things around us. And we would talk about it and then I would lead us in prayer. You try that at home, men. Because that's going to humble you and that's going to add another layer to your marriage that maybe you haven't had before, spiritual intimacy to the highest. That was hard because it's much harder to, to speak in those ways in front of those that you hold closest sometimes and those who are more of a stranger in places. So, very good point. And I would add this too. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him. Why? For he careth for you. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, be careful in nothing or be anxious in nothing, but by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. Now, it is the case that in the Sermon on the Mount, it is the case that in Matthew the 6th chapter and verse 33, this mark is made in Scripture that we're very familiar with. I mean, how many times have you heard this quoted? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, really, in the context of that passage, there is, before and after, really a, an emphasis upon the providence of God, our dependence upon our Father. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies of the field. Will he not also, therefore, take care of you? But we live in a world that is so fast-paced, so many obligations and matters that we have to take care of, that if we're not careful, the spiritual, to even a very faithful person at times, the spiritual can begin to fade away and the temporal take at least an immediate presence of priority in our lives. And there's no doubt about it, that is wrong. But we all have to fight that. And again, one of the greater marks of our maturity, signs, litmus tests, one of the proofs that you're growing in Christ, that you're not stagnated, that you're moving closer, you're drawing nigh into him. Not that, not that you take a position where nothing matters. That's not the idea here. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I pay my bills. It doesn't matter if I show up on time. I mean, I'm a Christian. I just cast all my cares upon him. That's not what's under consideration. What's under consideration is, is that I realize that I do not forge my own path, that I am dependent upon the will of God, that all of the blessings, Ephesians 1, 3, spiritually and those physically, Matthew 6, come from the hand of God and I will wait patiently upon my Father and I will never believe or understand or believe a devil's lie, John 8, 44, that somehow in some way that I am secure in my own life, in my own right. I've known men and women that were immediately brought to this understanding when the things in this life, whether it be financial success or whether it be education or whether it be attainments or whether it be athletics were either taken from them or things occurred in such a way that health failed immediately, they realized that actually they were not as dependent upon God as they thought they were. To be dependent upon God does not mean these things cannot happen to us, but it does mean that although they happen to us, our faith will not be wrecked. It may be pressured. It may be tested. It may be tried. But the Bible teaches us our faith, our spiritual salvation, our commitment to God, those things can stand the toughest of storms if we're people of prayer. 
And prayer, to me, is closely connected, according to Matthew, the sixth chapter, with the divine arrangement of God's tutelage of providence. That is, I pray, I expect in great confidence, I look forward to the spiritual things of life. Why? Because I have confidence that God will hear and answer not how I want to be answered, but according to his divine will and what is best for me spiritually. Any other thoughts? Amen. Now, my oldest now is 17, so now I understand what you mean, brother. Right, no, he's, he's good. But, but we understand as our children begin to age that we don't start praying for them at 17. We start praying for our children, really, when they're in the womb or before they're born. And we continue to pray. Why? Because they mean so much to us. Children face a great series of obstacles in this world, no different in some ways than what's always been faced as God's people in the world, but these things are, these things are taking upon new forms, I would say, and new methodologies that are very dangerous. And so we pray for the safety of our children spiritually. We pray for the spouses that they someday will marry. We pray for the congregations that they will hold membership in. We pray that they will make the right decisions in the vocations which they choose to occupy in this world. We pray for the souls of our children. Excellent point. You know, God gave children one commandment. One commandment in the New Testament. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is the first commandment with promise that you may have a long life. That is the one commandment God really gave children I wonder how many parents understand that the greatest mission field that you will ever be a part of is your own children. Good comment. Any thoughts on prayer this morning? Sincerity, genuineness, being open with God, being transparent. Not that he, listen, God knows what's in the recesses of your heart, whether you tell him or not. I think some of us think that, well, if I hold part of this back, you know, God won't know. I'll just tell him what I want him to know. Well, that doesn't work. God knows. God knows every thought and intents of the thoughts, behind the thoughts, every secret. Now, you just think about this. So, really, you have two choices in prayer. When it comes to sin, as the good brother mentioned earlier, you can conceal it or confess it. Conceal it or confess it. What happens if you conceal it? It's still there. Still a separativeness. Still an imprisonment. Still a vice. Still a problem. Or you can confess it and it's removed. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. So, very good point there. Amen. 1 Peter 2 and 17 says, Love the brotherhood. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, talks about the great role of an elder and how we ought to know them that labor among us. I went to one place one time when I was holding a meeting. A lady met me in the back. She said, Were our elders this? Our elders this? And she said, They don't even come here. I said, Now, wait a minute. What about 1 Thessalonians 5? Have you made it a point to know your elders? It's easy for me, is it not? To pick out and to see all your inadequacies. 
But sometimes in prayer, one of the great benefits of prayer is to actually allow the great mirror of truth to look back into my own heart and to look at my own inadequacies. And Brother Howell is correct on that. And we ought to be praying for our elders and our evangelists. We ought to be praying for our Bible class teachers, for our deacons, for our uh, men overseas that are preaching and proclaiming the gospel upon foreign lands. We ought to be praying for all of these and to think about all the things that we're talking about this morning. Do we ever have a lack of things to pray for? I mean, we're, we're just getting started. By the way, what t how long do we have here? I don't have You'll see them. Oh, okay. Well, you'd make a good preacher. Just tell it like it is. <laughs> no. uh, so what else comes to our mind? That's a tough one, though, really. You know it? Brother Scoggins mentions to increase our faith, but then be prepared because that means when our faith is increased that we're either going to probably face more trials, possibly, or it means that God may open up doors of opportunities that we may, you know, not even dream of. I used to hear a prayer spoken to church growing up more than I do now. And I always, when I first, you know, when I was younger, I probably didn't appreciate it. But looking back, the man that spoke that prayer knew more Bible than any preacher that ever came. He was an elder of the church. He knew more Bible than any preacher we ever had come visit. He was one of those people that always stood out to me. I never will forget when he prayed in the assembly. He would always get beside the pew, a little old fellow with a long white beard, and, and he would kneel to pray. I haven't seen anyone kneel to pray, and I'm not saying that we have to kneel to pray. I'm just saying that always... That always stuck in the, in the back of my mind because this man was not for show. He was a very poor man, but he was probably one of the best elders I had ever known in my entire life. And this man was a man of prayer. And when he prayed, he very seldom spoke. But when he prayed, it would almost bring tears to your eyes every time. It's hard to explain. But this man, I would say, prayed closer to David in the Psalms and men of the Old Testament than any person I had ever heard in my life. And so, men like that, he would pray this statement at the end. Lord, he said, wear us out in thy service. Well, like Brother Scoggins is mentioning, when we're praying for an increase of faith, well, the reason that we need faith, at least in part, is so that we're prepared and equipped to faithfully carry out the work of God. James connects faith, right, with works. And men of great faith and women of great faith can do great things for God because the inner man that Paul would describe in Romans, the seventh chapter, is strengthened to be able to carry out the work of God in a wicked world. There is no way that any elder, evangelist, Bible, there is no way any Christian is going to be able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one, Ephesians chapter 6, unless he has the shield of faith. And faith, faith is linked in Scripture. We know the word of God, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and 17. I'm going to tell you what else it's linked to. It's linked to prayer. Because there's no way one, there's no way one can be successful in living the Christian life when his heart is not molded in the realm of prayer towards faith. Any other thought?
What about short prayers and long prayers? Yeah, he's going to make a preacher. That's right. Heard a brother criticize one time. He said, I don't like so-and-so because his prayers are too long. And Jesus said, do not pray with vain repetitions. All right. I can appreciate the brother's movement and thought. But did Jesus condemn a long prayer? Not, not outright. No. What he condemned is not mere repetition. He condemned the being seen of men and the vain repetition. The word vain means insignificant, of no profit, of no value. In other words, repeating something not for value's sake, but for no value's sake, which was to be seen and glorified of men. Jesus said in Matthew 6, When ye pray, enter in into the closet. In other words, do not pray to be seen of men. Don't make it a spectacle. Don't make it something to, to demand the attention of the people around you. So even that small length prayer in the private confines of a closet has as much value and weight as a longer prayer that would be spoken even in a corporate assembly. That's right. The length itself does not matter so long as the heart is engaged. And there's been times in which maybe something was right around the corner about to happen. Maybe I got called out to, uh, you know, when we had a member of the congregation, Lindsay, lost their child to drowning. You know, and even though you've been preaching a long time, things like that, you're, you're never ready. So you're about to go in and visit the family and maybe just to stop in just a five-second, ten-second, Lord, please be with me, you know, and then to enter in. There's a time for, for a, a quicker, brief prayer, but that's what time allows. But then there's also times, I'm sure any elder here would speak to, or any preacher, that my wife and I have lied on the pillows in the evening in our bed, and I have prayed aloud or even in my head sometimes for a long time, thinking about all the cares that the congregations around us and even at home, the things going on in which it took a while to get all of those things off the chest, the, the concerns that the sister mentioned earlier, and to put those in the hands of God. So you're exactly right. What else comes to our mind about prayer? Praise the law. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, number 3. If the gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Jesus said, pray ye that we send forth laborers into the harvest, for the fields are white. It's not that the harvest is lacking. I know we say that sometimes, but I don't believe that. We, sometimes we say things that is not correct. So, well, there's nobody wants the truth anymore. Jesus said, it's not the harvest that the problem is with. It's a lack of workers. We need to train more workers, 2 Timothy 2, 2, to go out and to harvest the crop. Pray for the lost. We pray that the lost might live long enough to hear the gospel at least once. And we might have the conviction and faith to get the gospel to them. You know, I'm thankful for God's prayerful mindset. Do you know 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 give us an insight as to why God is currently holding back the second advent? God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is what? 
long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to him in repentance. Should that not be our attitude? That we are hoping that the lost has more time? We're not gleeful with the subject of hell. We preach it, or at least I do. But there's no glee in our voice on the subject of hell. Hell's going to be bad enough that you don't even want your worst enemy to go there. You hope he gets straight and confesses and comes to Christ and, and obeys the gospel. So pray for the lost. What else? Pray for our enemies. Again, we quoted Matthew 5, 44. And there's many other passages. Romans chapter 12 would also strike at the heart of this matter. That we are, to, we are not to answer evil with evil. If we took vengeance in our own hands every single time someone did us wrong, we would spend a great portion of our life hunting somebody up. Right? Good point. Well, then, yeah, it would be a mess there too. And that's why the, the solution to this goes back to the spirit that Christ had upon the cross. Now, we have about five minutes left. Let's look at this as we close. Sometimes we get confused with the spirit of forgiveness with the actual execution of it. While on the cross, seven cries, which we'll be discussing one of those in our worship hour. But another one that he spoke, one of those seven that we have record of, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, of course, Christ had not even completed his death and and. And people have to be baptized into Christ, Acts 2.38, before they receive. They're even told that on the day of Pentecost. But what I want you to see is, even one of his last dying remarks, the spirit he had within himself, the character, the wisdom, the maturity, all of his life has led up to this point. He's about to say it is finished, John 19 and 30, of which our sermon is going to be about. But before that, he is able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could he have developed such a wise counsel, such a deep intimacy, such a deep love in his earthly pilgrimage? Yes, he was God in the flesh, John 1 and 14, but he also was human. Well, it's because he, being a person of prayer, he was growing in the wisdom and the stature and the favor with God and man, Luke chapter 2. And he arrives at this point and he's able to speak what we would think would, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, which would almost be impossible to speak. They are crucifying you. You're on a cross, two thieves, one on either side, a malefactor. The giver of life, the only innocent one to live, is now between two thieves and vagabonds. Criminals. They're spitting upon him. They're lying about his reputation. They physically assaulted him is an understatement. They are crucifying him. And on the cross, at the close of his life, he's able to say, well, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, you tell me that he has not subjected himself to the will of God. Because the will of the Father... It's his, his will that he's going to obey. And his death is going to be the very avenue, the, the very way in which 
man may be saved, but if he had not the spirit of forgiveness, but a spirit of vengeance, it would have never occurred. So very good point. Now later on it is the case that those people to whom he spoke that prayer, which includes all of humanity, have to come to him in obedience to receive the actual execution of forgiveness. But had his heart not developed into that, where would we be today? What great things are we able to do for God in our future? What legacy could we live? What impact could we have on our children and grandchildren and those around us if we have that kind of mindset? Any thoughts as we close? Speak up and be friendly. We'll meet back here in a few minutes. Thank you for the class.